When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today we'll be previewing Saturday's trip to Old Trafford as Fulham look to correct some demons from recent years against Manchester United up in the northwest. Also in today's podcast, we'll answer a load of your emails. It's the return of This Will Catch On very excitingly. We'll also do a final word from Saturday's defeat against Villa and there's some other Fulham topics to, to get into as well in this first part. I'm joined on the Thursday Club by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. It feels weird not being in studio today, doesn't it? I know, I know. The uh, the storm that's currently battering uh, the southeast meant that I, um, I, to be honest, I chickened out coming in, didn't I? Yeah, right, look, it is. It's obviously recording from here has become the norm, and then going back into studio was really nice. And it's nice to have that kind of, I suppose, candidness of of, of talking directly. But look, it's fine. These are the uh, look, these are sorry, the sorry's a long way away. People don't realize it's the back sorry, and beyond. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a long old trek to Godalming. Um, so no, I'm, yeah, I did just uh, chicken out a little bit. I thought it was going to be worse than it was. Anyway, that's why we're not in studio today. Um, Jack, you're good otherwise though? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Can't complain. It's been a busy old week with the Champions League and the Europa League tonight, but I'm excited for it. We've had a good week of football and I think it's only going to get better tonight. So I'm excited about my Thursday night action, my beloved Thursday night action. Yeah, I must admit, I don't. I'm looking at the, tonight's Europa games. I know there is some things to get your teeth t- stuck into, but the playoff round's quite a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look if you want to go and check out UE Ultras, if you're listening to this before before the Europa League games start, then uh, go and have a look at that on YouTube, and that'll get you excited. So there you go. I can I can I can provide you with inspiration as to what to watch tonight. Yeah, fair enough. Right, we'll get into uh, the final word from um, from Saturday then, Jack. I mean, I actually like watched this game. I thought it was like quite an entertaining one. Like I enjoyed being at the game, weirdly, despite it being a defeat. Like I came out of it feeling like, well, you know, we lost to a good side there, but like I thought we were, were entertaining. But it was obviously incredibly frustrating. I know that you've kind of done the full dive on that on Sunday's podcast. Go listen to it uh, if you haven't checked it out already for kind of all the opinions on mostly the referee, but uh, other, amongst other things. Um, I mean, it was one of those, Jack, that was like far from a disaster. I had a Dharma try, I already just stuck that in at the end. It would have been a fantastic afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those where I was speaking to a Villa fan who was basically like, oh, good to see he hasn't changed whatsoever since his Villa days. And I was like, yeah, that's it. He's like, the only man that could get to, as Dan Cook put it at the weekend, the only man that could get to that chance, and yet the only one you don't really want on the end of it when he does get through it. So, look, come see, come sir, if you will. It's a little bit swings and roundabouts. It's interesting what you say there about the game, though, and the enjoyment of it, because Lucy's been to the last two games with me, and she was like, oh, this was a better game than the Bournemouth one, despite the result. And she's probably correct in terms of the quality that was on show, in terms of what was actually you know, happening across the course of it. It probably was a better game. And look, this is the thing. Villa are a very good side. And with Pau Torres back in there, it was always going to be difficult to try and keep them at bay. There are frustrations in the way that obviously we gave away the first goal incredibly cheaply. The second one is a mistake as well in terms of leaving that gigantic gap for Watkins to run through. But it's also a very, very neat passage of play from Villa. We score a good but somewhat fortuitous goal with the nick from Rodrigo Muniz. And then towards the end of the game, it sort of descends into chaos and farce. And overall, if you look at that and think... Okay, this is a team that might not be challenging for the title anymore, but definitely were until, you know, the turn of the year at the very least, and are definitely still in that Champions League conversation, to have run them incredibly close and and to to have put on a performance that I think 80-90% of was pretty good is an okay place for Fulham to be. These are the results that are going to happen. 
Yeah. I mean, look, look, I'm not here going like, oh, it's fun watching Fulham lose. It, it certainly was frustrating not to get the result. And the fact that I think the mistakes came into it. I think the biggest takeaway for me from the Villa game is what happens in the Manchester United game, because I think there's lots now of potentials for personnel changes. But look, we'll get into that um, in, in just a moment. Uh, a few other bits of um, Fulham news this week. Uh, one of them involves someone that definitely won't be involved in, in Saturday's game is uh, is Xiao Polinia. Um, Tony Khan uh, was talking to uh, Talk Sports um, ahead of uh, an AEW um, thing, I think. Uh, oh no, he spoke, sorry, to their Super Bowl show uh, in, in, in Las Vegas. Um, and he was randomly then quizzed on, on Jao Polina. He didn't quite say that he's open for him leaving, but he, he kind of left that door ajar of like, well, look, we're probably going to get offers in the summer and we'll have to listen to them. I actually don't think I've seen too many people that angry about what he said. Like it's, it's maybe a little bit like I would have just batted it away and said, we're not selling, etc. But you've got to be realistic here about Xiao Polina and I fully expect Xiao to leave in the summer. So I didn't read this and get annoyed because I just thought like I, I have fully accepted that Zhao won't be here next season. I know maybe others haven't, but it, to me, it just feels like a, a formality. Yeah, I didn't think there was all that much wrong with what he said. And, and there are plenty of things wrong with, with various aspects of people higher up the club speaking to the media at different times and some of the comments and things that come out of the club. This one, I agree, it could have been batted away slightly better in terms of, look, we're not thinking about the summer until the summer would have been the easy out, right? It would have been like if, you know, the right offers come in. But, I mean, I think the official quote is, if an offer came along that would make sense for everyone, I think that's something you'd have to consider with every player at the right time. That's fine. Like, we've spoken yeah. about the fact that, you know, to become sustainable, you need to be able to accept the fact that sometimes you bring in players, they perform well, and you sell them on for a profit. It's something that Fulham haven't done very well in recent years. And when you kind of consider how the club needs to be sustainable and what it needs to work properly in the transfer market, when, you know, aside from Mitrovic, when was the last time we made serious profit on a player that we bought and flipped? The answer is not very often. And mm. so to, to kind of look at these and think, well, we have to accept the right off when, it, of course you do. Every club has to do that to a level and it has to be the right off. It has to be the right destination for a player to want to go there, etc. But I don't think in themselves, there's all that much wrong with this comment. It just seems to have generated headlines, which maybe far outstrip what the actual comments were. And that was the thing. Fulham open to selling Joao Polina is not, what the comment was. It was Fulham will sell players for the right price at the right time if the correct offer comes along, which is how you run any sustainable football club. Yeah. Why do you think, like, his next move is more likely to be? Because we now know that Bayern is chopping and changing. We don't exactly know what's going to be happening there in the summer. Thomas Tuchel is going to be leaving. I mean, they want Alonso. I don't think they'll get Alonso. Could be Mourinho. So I, I feel like Bayern now maybe. Yeah, Conte wants it, apparently, I think, as well. Um, but I just don't know now if Bayern is that likely a destination. Is there a chance that, given that Polini is a year older, a year closer to 30, he's going to have a high valuation. It's not going to be massively attractive to lots of clubs because it's like you're paying top whack for someone that's not got tons of years left in the in the, in the bank. I don't know. Like, as much as I'm kind of like, resigned to him going I actually now I'm like less sure where but I said this this time last year about Alexander Mitrovic I'm sure I'm sure someone might might find the right the cash down the back of the sofa for him yeah I mean the difference there was obviously the Saudi spending spree which I don't think and look I could be wrong and, and eventually money talks at, at high levels and we've seen that with the Saudi Arabia project but I think with certain players leaving you know it's been a little bit of an uncomfortable situation for people now looking at that league and thinking, oh, do I actually want to go there? I think JP's motivation in all of this has probably been to try and challenge at the highest level and try and win trophies and compete in the Champions League again, et cetera, et cetera. So unless an offer comes in from a club with that kind of rationale behind it, I think that he probably stays put. And there is also the conversation around where his family are if they're settled and 
the noise around that seems to be that they are and they're happy in London. So it would have to be an offer to go and challenge at the top end, I think, to shift Joao Polinho now. There was a lot of chat last summer, do you remember, about West Ham coming in for him when Declan Rice left. And at the yeah. time, I was like, I don't understand why he would go to West Ham. It doesn't make sense from a footballing perspective. Maybe monetarily, they could, you know, shift Fulham out of the water there. But I don't think there's all that much in terms of the jump. And, you know, the same reason Crystal Palace fans... Um, the Bournemouth fans got really upset about Crystal Palace signing Jefferson Lerman. They were like, why have you done that? We gained from this move. And so I think that it then comes down to who has the capacity and the prestige to be able to do this. And a lot of clubs have one and not the other. I think Barcelona are crying out for a Joao Polina figure, but they have zero money in the bank. And then you're kind of looking elsewhere and thinking, well, are Liverpool going to whack £50 million on Joao Polina? Probably wouldn't add up to what we've seen from the FSG model. Our City, I don't think so. Not Our Arsenal, Rodri. not with Declan Rice in there. Real Madrid have a depth of you know defensive midfielders, as do Atleti. Bayern are a little bit in flux. Now, they have the money and they have the prestige, but whether a new manager coming in is going to want to pursue the same targets as the old manager going out remains a question. Look, Bayern still need a six, even with the emergence of Alexander Pavlovich. They still do need to bring in a player in that kind of mould. And I think Kimmich might be off in the summer. But I don't know if they're going to have the capacity to actually bring that through. Then you maybe start to think about PSG, perhaps. They've got Manuel Agate. He hasn't played all that much in the Luis Enrique system. I, I don't see, unless it's Bayern, who's coming in that I think has the level that he wants to play at and has kind of had his head turned by. And you have to kind of bear that in mind. It's one thing having Bayern after you one summer and the next thing having a, a club from the tier below. Is that then going to be like, okay, I thought I was going to right to the very top and actually it's Borussia Dortmund in for me. And there's no slight on Borussia Dortmund by any stretch of the imagination, but is that move still the same kind of prestige? Because I don't think Borussia Dortmund could afford him. But I guess someone like a Newcastle as well, like they might just about have the cash, I guess. like I mean, it's obviously a much it more would need illustrious club. It would need an exit, I think, at Newcastle. And it would probably take someone coming in and them having to do a deal for Bruno Gimmerich to them have them turn their head for Jarpolino, I think. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those that got me thinking because I think I was just so resigned to him going. And that was actually like the amount of clubs like that, that makes sense for you to leave to is is running low. It doesn't mean it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination. But um, but also, Jack, as an element of like, do Fulham need some of the Polina money? Like yeah, to, to kick, I mean, I guess the damage that would be done by losing Polina, you'd almost have to spend so a lot of that cash that you got in in order to find someone that was even capable of lacing Polina's boots. But, you know, should Fulham actually be actively trying to find a buyer for, for a Zhao Polina in order to kind of make sure that we got the fund, make sure that we're starting to profit off players? I think that there are going to have to be sales in the summer of some description. This is the really obvious one, but it doesn't need to be this one, if you will. It doesn't make this the only transfer that Fulham could do, the only deal that Fulham could do to to move players on. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see what the strategy is because it might be one really high-profile sale, a la Polina, or it might be a number of different sales at lower values that still can bring through that kind of profit value that we're looking for. Yeah. Um, and just one other little bit of Fulham news that's um, emerged on Thursday that I thought was interesting to talk about was the uh, the publication of the club's fan engagement plan um, and how that they uh, plan on doing the new fan advisory board. So as far as I understand, and I'm not hugely uh, clued up on exactly what the, uh, the, the fan-led review um, stated, but part of it was that each club in the Premier League had to come up with a fan advisory board in order for there to be more, I guess, dialogue between supporters and football clubs. Now, what I do know is that Fulham were one of the last, if not the last Premier League team to actually announce their plans for this. And I mean, Jack, I, I read this article and it hasn't gone down um, particularly well. I think the thing that stands out for me, like a sore thumb, is that the fans that get chosen for this fan advisory board get selected by the club. 
which just straight off the bat reads like, well, what's the point? Because the club can just select whoever they want to be on the board. You'd surely need people on a fan advisory board that are willing to to challenge the club. And if the club has free reign to choose whoever it likes, then, I mean, it's, it literally feels like a pointless exercise. Yeah, I mean, look, it's weird because we talk about dialogue there. And yes, this is something implemented by the review. But Fulham, you know, five or six years ago and the trust were talking about their dialogue that they'd, you know, agreed upon with the club and that was heralded as a pretty breakthrough moment and for a while it felt like it might be. And now it feels like that dialogue is completely one-sided and things just get batted away by the club and that's the end of it. So I don't see why this dialogue would be any different whatsoever. It's one thing saying, okay, we're going to listen to the fans on certain topics is another one saying okay we'll listen to them and then we're going to completely ignore everything they say anyway because that seems to be the modus operandi of the Fulham board Mm. so yeah being able to choose the fans that they have on this board completely undermines I think its authority it kind of it it remains to be seen who ends up being selected Uh, you know I, I wonder if most of the people who would have had a voice in this and would have liked to have been part of it and actually felt that they could engage will be put off by the fact that the club have said that they're the ones that are going to choose who's involved here. And yeah, I mean, the proof will be in the pudding and we'll wait to see what happens with it. But my initial reaction is that I'm not hopeful that this is a particularly great vehicle for change. Yeah, uh, the Fuller Supporters Trust um, on Thursday has um, expressed their disappointment in the the club's announcement. They said that, um, in particular, we are disappointed in the club's decision to exclude external representatives from the selection uh, process of the Fan Advisory Board. Whilst we understand that Fulham may well be operating within the guidelines set by the Premier League, it is disheartening to see that the majority of other Premier League clubs have chosen to include both internal and external representatives in their selection panel. We believe this approach ensures fairness and transparency in the decision-making process, something that the club are clearly keen to avoid. Um, They're also disappointed that no one from the Fulham Lilies has been invited to uh, be on the board and that the latest start time for these meetings, Jack, is uh, 6pm, which really rules it out of anyone that's got a normal job. Like, either that, you've got to take half a day off work to go to the meetings. I mean, that's just not like sensible is it and you've got to travel to Motspur Park which I've been to a few times and is like a black hole of London in order to get to might throw my hat in the ring here I don't think I'll be selected (laughs) yeah I mean (laughs) us part-timers might be able to do it but yeah you know I it's just just incredible it's it's yeah look it's one of those things where as you know they point out in this statement it is probably within the guy is within the guidelines of the review. It's not within the spirit of it, and that's it, yeah. isn't it? In a, in a nutshell, it's okay. We can get around this by basically putting whoever we want in here, and it completely and utterly dissipates the essence of what this fan-led review was supposed to get clubs to engage with. And it's just another sign of the times, I think, at the cottage. And look, we, we bang this drum forever, but. It just feels like we're going down the garden path again and again and again and banging our heads against the brick wall at the end and not getting anything off it. So it's incredibly disheartening is probably how I would, how I would put it. Yeah, one other thing from this um, Fulham Supporters Trust, um, I guess it's kind of like a press release um, that they did. Uh, the final paragraph uh, says the relationship between the club and the FST is arguably at an all time low. We are asking the club to engage in constructive and meaningful dialogue to repair this fractured relationship as a matter of urgency. I mean, I just thought particularly interesting for the FST to admit that um, things are at all time low. I mean, I read the February um, trust meeting notes with the club and I mean, it was almost pointless read. It was it was literally every topic that they suggested, including like I felt like, you know, it's one thing going in there and being angry about ticket prices and the club batting that away. It's almost like I guess that's kind of expected, but even kind of quite serious and almost damning evidence at what happened at the Liverpool game with the the hordes of of crowds outside those turnstiles. The fact that. I think a a huge majority of people actually missed the first 10 minutes of that game. And whilst 
there's no evidence of it being a crush. That's that's too strong a word uh, for what was there. There certainly were a lot of very concerned people in that in that mass outside the game, and and for the club just to bat that away. And what annoyed me most, Jack, was look, okay, you might be able to prove with kind of reviewing the evidence that it wasn't a crush or that actually no one was in serious danger of harm. But actually, you know, trying to put this on like supporters arriving late rather than fixing the overall problems here, which come down to numerous factors, but paper tickets is certainly a massive factor in, in the fact that, that those turnstiles are so slow on cup games. It's not a coincidence that every cup game is a nightmare to get into the cottage. And just to, to pin it on fans arriving late rather than addressing their own issues or even admitting to the fact that there could be improvements that could be made, but now just actually say, no, no, the fans turned up late. I'm like, right, yes, but you can't control human behaviour. You have to make your systems better so that it's robust enough to deal with the fact that people might want to turn up 10, 15 minutes beforehand. This isn't wasn't a mass of people turning up at eight o'clock. This was people turning up 10, 15 minutes beforehand, which should be pretty standard in order to get into a venue. Yeah, especially after work, you know, on a, on a work yeah. it, it's not. It's not like, oh, okay, it was a three o'clock kickoff. You can get there whenever you want on a Saturday. It's, you know, it's in the evening. But look, it's it's the scorpion and the frog, isn't it? Like, it's just, it, even if stinging the frog and drowning is in it is in no one's interests, it's just the scorpion's nature. And this is literally where we're at with the club. It's like, even if we're pointing out things that are within the club's interest to sort out, because it ensures, one, better coverage, two, better crowds in, in the game and, and their supporting the team, their nature is to ignore problems now when they are put in front of them in black and white evidence and just say that this isn't a problem, this didn't happen. It, no, the party's greatest and last command, right, was to ignore the evidence of your eyes and ears. We are literally at that point. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. Afterwards, we'll look ahead to Saturday's game against United. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. Thank you as ever to Green King Sports for backing the Thursday club this season. Uh, If you can't make a match and you want to uh, watch it at the pub, find your local Green King Sport pub and they will be showing all televised matches, including not just the football, but there's also the return of the Six Nations this weekend as well. So if you're looking to watch a sports match and you want to head to a pub, find a local Green King Sport pub and the match will definitely be on there. And also there is um, there's a certain matter of the Carabao Cup final this Sunday, which will be on. I must admit, Jack, I feel like I might, might go for a walk. I feel like it's all a bit soon. Thinking of what could have been being at the Wembley Way, having a beer, the green man, could it all be us? I really yes. hope it rains. I really hope it's, it's a horrible it's pour. day. It's going to pour. It's going to be grand. I really hope they are miserable at the Green Man pub. Um, and uh, yeah, I might not watch it, but we'll see. But yes, if you want to head to a Green King Sport pub, download the Green King Sport app, get 10% off your drinks uh, during any televised fixture. Jack, let's look ahead then to Manchester United. 3 p.m. Saturday, once again, 3pm uh, Fulham uh, as ever this uh, in these past few weeks. And... Jack, for a club in crisis, Manchester United, they're on bloody good form. <laughs> yeah, seven unbeaten. And it's... Look, it's a bit of a tale of two halves. There have been some impressive performances in this, and there's also been some pretty dismal performances where they've got away with it. And so it's quite hard to judge them, and especially with all the noise that's surrounding Manchester United around the outside of the club, with the so Jim Ratcliffe deal going through, the talk of a new stadium, the you know, appointment of Dan Ashworth or the attempted appointment of Dan Ashworth from Newcastle United as sporting director. It feels like everyone's just kind of forgotten what's going on on the pitch. And actually, I think that's kind of helped United because whilst the noise has been going on around their takeovers and the board, et cetera, et cetera, they've started to quietly get on with their business a little bit more. And look, part of this is the fact that they've been able to call upon a full-strength team for really the first time this season. Eric Ten Hag has his first choice 11 or close to his first choice 11 out there. Part of it is due to the fact that Rasmus Hoyland has finally found his feet. Now, this was going to happen. It happened at Atalanta last year where he basically scored two goals in the first half of the season and exploded into life and scored something like nine in the second. We're seeing a very similar pattern here at Manchester United. He started to just find that rhythm and groove that's allowed him to be 
you know, probably on course for player of the month in the Premier League. Him and Rodrigo Muniz having a head-to-head for <laughs> every player of the month this weekend, which is something, wasn't isn't on it? My bing- wasn't on my wasn't bingo card. wasn't on my card. bingo card either, no. Um, but yeah, I think that whilst all of this kind of furore has been swirling outside the doors of Carrington, inside they've been able to just take care of things. And yeah, they look, they look okay. There are moments where you're like, ooh, they're on the way back. There are also moments like in the end of that first half against Luton, where you're thinking Luton are battering this lot. They're really, really dominating the game. And United were somewhat fortunate to hold on to a 2-1 win in the end. So yes, there are kind of differing elements of this. At Old Trafford, it's going to be incredibly difficult. But Fulham are a weird team. And this is kind of what we've learned this season. Fulham have the capacity to go and absolutely blow teams away, as we did back in November, and beat Arsenal, as we did at the end of December, and then also lose at home to Burnley and throw away a two-goal lead at Turf Moor. It, there's no kind of rhyme or reason a lot of the time with this Fulham team. And in that regard, I think that you look at a game like this and think, oh, why not? Yeah. I mean, Manchester United have, you know, really found also a, a few players that have come up clutch. I mean, Kobe Maynou in the middle are just such a talented player. And we know about that, the, you know, that that three behind Hoyland as well. And you've got Garnacho, Fernandez, and Rashford in good form. They're pretty hard to stop. And obviously Fulham have got to do this without João Polina, who's suspended for two matches after picking up his 10th yellow card against Villa. I was really annoyed of how that yellow card happened because I felt like, I don't know, I feel like he, need, <laughs> he obviously needed to do it, but also it's like, oh, come on, João, have you not learned by now? Like just like, how to control it occasionally. But anyway, he is suspended. He was always going to get his 10th yellow card at some point. So it might as well happen now, whatever. Um, it's going to be hard to stop them, particularly without Zhao as the kind of enforcer at the base of midfield. Yeah, it's a difficult one. And look, the, the way to get United recently has been in transition. They're really good in their own transitions going forward. And, you know, and they're attacking at speed with those players that you mentioned, plus Hoyland. They're a force to be reckoned with, but they're a little bit imprecise. They give the ball away a fair bit in the final third. And if you can get them in those transitional breaks then I think that you have a chance against this Manchester United side. Sadly, it's kind of something that Fulham haven't been great at, right? It's it's not been our strength this season. It very much was last year to be able to to hit teams a little bit more with that ability from, from, from our own half to get forward. But that's where the game, I think, is won or lost for us. Polina's absence in the middle is huge in that it means that those three, and Fernandes in particular, should be able to get more of a handle on the games, but he hasn't been in sparkling form of late. It's been others who have, have stepped up to the mantle and it's going to be interesting to see one, how Fulham try and deal with that. And two, how Fulham can ad- adapt this system to try and push a second player backwards while also retaining the ability to, you know, have that body that moves out midfield. So the question becomes basically does TC play? Because if Tom Kearney does play, you're looking at a player who does have the capacity and ability to make things happen in the middle, to spin out of pressure and to set Fulham on their way. But equally, if you, you know, you're looking at how you'd probably try and replace Polina, the answer is the energy of Harrison Reed and the, you know, pass control potentially of, of Sasha Lukic as a partnership. And where does that leave Fulham in terms of actually being able to play our way out of our own half. So it's a relatively tricky dilemma. I think this one for Marcus Silva. What would you go with? I'm going to say I would probably try and get TC to play deeper. Dan mentioned this on Sunday that can you get TC to do the job, which Polinia does so well, which is picking the ball up between the center backs and actually playing as that kind of quarterback figure. Cause if you can, then you don't you don't offer him that in def- in defensive phases by any stretch of the imagination. You want Reed in there bombing about being the difference. But if you do do that, can you make Kenny the the quarterback who tries to actually instigate attacks? I'd maybe try it, but I do think there is a real sensible point in that Sasha Lukic always looks dreadful when he comes off the bench. When he starts, he's tended to look pretty solid, and maybe that's something that will be on Marco's mind right now. And then from a Fulham perspective as well, um, I wrote about it in the um, the little piece I do on the BBC Sport website where I actually am looking at potentially like three or four 
change, unenforced changes, other than obviously the, the, the Polini one in the middle. Because I thought that Bassi, when he came on for, for Ream, I thought looked really composed. And I think Fulham actually, when he came on the pitch, just seemed to have suddenly gain a real edge in possession because I think he just looked so solid at the back. I think that Awobi looked great when he came on. And and arguably with Tosin and Tete kind of back in contention now, like, could we actually see quite a wide amount of changes? The only reason I feel like we won't see all of them is because Marco won't want to make quite so many because we could otherwise be talking about five, six changes for a Premier League game, which is pretty unheard of for Marco. Yeah, I mean, I think Bassi has to come back in. And I think also considering where Hoyland's got his joy and that ability to spin over the top and, and make the difference there, it would make plenty of sense. Tosin for Diop's a bit of a toss-up, if you will. I'm not sure where that one looks, but Diop was, was a mistake. But, I mean, Diop obviously was, you know, two mistakes. In, well, I, I argue if the first one's his fault, but he doesn't do great for it either. But definitely the second one is a clear Diop error. Yeah, yeah. So I think if, if Tosin's fit, it comes back in or at least I would like to see that and yeah, Joe Sansom tweeted didn't he He said if you leave your best centre-back partnership on the bench this thing's gonna happen and he, he's right I think Castagna keeps his place I don't think yeah. there was anything to suggest that he he would lose it so I'm gonna say that it's a double change at the back for Tosin and Bassi I think Marco is gonna go with Reed and Lukic so that could be interesting I think he might drop Pereira I know this is rare, but he did drop him just before Awobi went off to AFCON to play mm-hmm. Alex Awobi in the 10. I think that we could see that again. And I think it's Willian on the left and it could be, well, it's either Harry Wilson or Adama on the right. I actually think that Bobby probably loses his spot. I'm not sure which of these comes in, but I think it could be interesting to see if Fulham are trying to play in those phases, in those transitional phases where United can be hurt that Adama is obviously the natural pick, but whether he actually does that or not is a... Can't is a see Adama question. starting. Can't it, see be a risk. I think, I think Wilson starts. I'm going to say, Will, as I'd say, the team would... I think Awobi might start in the 10. That's my big call. That's the bold call, if you will. I mean, that's six changes. Yeah, but I think that also, you know... It feels you, like a cup game. <laughs> well, yeah, it does, yeah. Um, but there, there's an element of... Obviously, you have players coming back from injury and international duty, which are kind of like, we're just slotting these players back inside. If we've beaten Villa, then you look at it and go, well, you're not probably going to make many changes from that, but we didn't. So yeah. it, it does kind of make sense for him to be like, you know, players come back from international duty and you go, well, you have to earn your space back in the side. But the game before we've lost... And the players who did come on, especially Iwobi and Bassi, made a massive impact. And Wilson, right? All three of them made massive impacts in the game in terms of getting Fulham on the front foot. So do you try and squeeze all three of them into the side because when they were on the pitch, Fulham looked better? I think the answer is yes. I think I would predict that I think... I think Bassi and I think Bassi and Tossin, like they they were looking such a formidable pair before kind of it got broken up because of a mixture of Afcon and injuries. Um, I reckon he'll go for Reed and Kearney. Is my I think okay. I think Sasalukish has lost the confidence of the manager and lost confidence in himself. I think sadly, Peter wrote a really good article on the Athletic about um, Sasalukic's kind of I wouldn't say fall from grace because I wouldn't say say he was ever at the top, but certainly like the kind of uh, his slide down the pecking order uh, this season. It's on the Athletic, well worth a read. Um, I agree with you, Awobi, for, for Pereira in the 10, but I would keep Bobby at right wing. Unless there's an injury I don't know about, but... Still um, had a pretty poor game against Villa. Yeah, I just think he will... I, I think he'll try and minimise the changes, but he'll do the ones that he needs to, which is the centre-backs and obviously just read in because, and, and then Awobi because I think he brought so much to the team when he came on. It was like we just signed a new player when he came on against Villa in the second half. And sadly that was for Willian, who obviously hadn't really done anything wrong. It was an injury that uh, forced him to come off. So that's that's who I predict. I mean, obviously, Jack, we've... Um, I mean, Manchester United has just been a, a really painful fixture for us since... Um, since we've come back up and um, if I if I actually thought that it couldn't get any more painful after last season then what happened in the home game where they scored in the 90th minute after us having clearly the better chances in the match I mean Manchester United just always find a way to win this match don't they well yeah in this era of Fulham I mean, weirdly in the kind of previous era in the in our 
big Premier League era, United were the game that we seemed to relish most. Maybe Tottenham as well, mm. but United were the big game that Fulham seemed to relish most. There's some huge results against Manchester United down the years. So, yeah, this this era's Manchester United seemed to have the edge on us, but it would be yeah very Fulham to lose at home to, to Villa and throw away points at Burnley and then go and win at Manchester United. And it would... Look, stop a recent resurgence for them as well, which I think everyone would enjoy given the what's happened over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll get into some of your emails and this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. The return of this will catch on in a moment. But first, uh, some of your emails. Uh, this one from Luke Gregory. Um, I forgot to bring this up, actually, in uh, in part one. Uh, question for the pod. Harrison's England audition is the title. You might have seen these uh, reports. Uh, Luke says, hi, Fulhamish. Long time listener. First time questioner. Wondering with Calvin Phillips not covering himself in glory with his loan spell. Henderson ageing. And Zhao Polinia serving a two-match ban. Is this a prime time to show Gareth Southgate why we call Harrison Reed our ginger Iniesta and given a call-up to the England squad for the upcoming friendlies? I know we've all fantasised this for a while, but surely now it comes to fruition. Well, there were links, Jack, in the mail early this week saying that Southgate is eyeing up Harrison Reed alongside, I think, Everton's James Garner um, as for a potential call-up to the uh, the friendlies that England have got in March. I mean, I find it the, the timing of this um, somewhat funny because I genuinely think, although I understand why he didn't take that decision, that Harrison Reed was in the form of his life going into the World Cup in Qatar. And that would actually have made sense as a time to pick Harrison Reed in a way. I kind of get why. He's obviously never going to do that. <laughs> no, he, he, if it had been, though, if that December had been two friendlies, not the, yeah, not the yeah, World yeah. Cup, I think that is the moment that you should try Harrison Reed. For him to potentially be now be in line for a call-up when he cannot get into this Fulham side is quite wild. But I mean, yeah. England have always had a hole there and we've talked about this for such a long time that if he managed to pull some good performances together in the Premier League with some consistency, it would make it hard for Southgate to ignore him. Yeah, I mean, this is it. It's an opportunity now for him to, one, stake his claim to get back in the Fulham side, which I imagine is the the first and foremost concern that we're talking about here. And, and then secondly to, you know, prove his worth. The problem I have with this is that if Southgate turns up to Old Trafford at the weekend and he has a look at it, I think he's also going to be looking at Kobe Minu, who has been in sensational oh, yeah. form and therefore maybe is the person that edges himself ahead when you look at this game. But look, I think Harrison Reed, as you say, last year, last season, probably should have been in line to have at least been had a look at. This year feels like a really strange time for that to come to pass. But in that regard, perhaps perhaps the you know suspension of Polinia here has come at the perfect time for him because it does mean that Southgate's going to get two games to have a look at what Harrison Reed can do in that deeper line role. I think it's not just, you know, this. I think it's the waning confidence that Calvin Phillips can be anywhere near the player that he was. But also I think that there is maybe a sense of Southgate looking post Euros at what this midfield looks like, because you'd imagine this is Jordan Henderson's last tournament and he's going to need someone. Now, whether that person is Harrison Reed, who's you know not in the twilight of his career, but a little bit older than maybe they'd be looking for for a new blood in this England side might be a different question. Whereas someone like James Garner is still a little bit more in the youth of their, or the spring of their youth, should we say. But mm. I think it's it, it's well past time that Harrison Reed got a look, at the very least. And I'm delighted for him that these rumours have come through, even if nothing eventually comes of them. Yeah. Um, this question from uh, Richard, uh, he says, Morning, I'm excited to think Marco might start a Dharma on Saturday and let him run at Luke Shaw. A well, quick he won't Google... be running at Luke Shaw. <laughs> because yeah, Luke, no, Shaw's Luke Shaw's out for 12 weeks. Yeah, uh, a quick Google show. He did send this uh, a couple of days ago, in fairness. Uh, a quick Google shows Traore as having one to two miles per hour higher top speed than Shaw, whereas Wilson and Decker Dover Reed are slightly slower. Thoughts, Richard? Well, as you say, Shaw is out. And that's actually a big boost for Fulham because I do think that Luke Shaw always improves Manchester United when he's in. It always feels like the crisis is full when he's out. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't see 
Marco starting Adama. I mean, he's got enough changes to make already. I think that's one wild card too many. But I enjoyed seeing Adama back on on Saturday. It's it, you you get the sublime and the ridiculous with him, and I'm all for chaos. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a, he's a great chaos option to have, and bringing him off the bench is one of those. It was you know brought up that he gives everyone a lift because it's like, oh, what happens next? It might be good, it might be bad, it might be indifferent, but something's going to happen, and. We're kind of getting to a point here. I, I don't think he starts. It is interesting, though, to think about who starts at fullback for United and how you can get at them because Dallow is basically their only fit fullback at this point. Now, he can play either side, which means that Victor Lindelof is probably likely to deputise at one side. I think you have to try and go at him. And whilst Victor Lindelof is an excellent one-on-one defender and he played as a stint at fullback when he was playing for Sweden's youth setups, I remember a long time ago. So he does have experience in the position, but he is not a natural fullback at this point in his career. Can you get joy and change out of that, especially if you put someone like Adama up against him? I think the answer is probably yes. Now, whether that's from the start or whether it's, you know, off the bench, as you said, you don't think Adama starts. I think it could be a wild card option, but... Whatever happens here, I think that you look at United's weak fullback, Dallas in brilliant form, so it's not him. But whoever's on the other side and whichever side Dallas plays on, you're kind of looking at it and thinking, okay, can we get at them? I think there's joy to be had there. Yeah. Uh, final question on the emails. This one from Michael Heatley. Uh, it says, Corners, after the 13 to 1 count of the Bournemouth game, two questions. Why does Marco fail to leave a man upfield so the opposition have to bring a couple of men back? Um, you wouldn't have to be a Dharma to profit from a low trajectory Leno kick. This used to be an accepted tactic. Why has it stopped? Also, why can't our defenders lend close quarters support to Leno, who seems to be having trouble with opponents standing in his way? Poor man seems to have lost the confidence to claim the ball, hence enough chances every game to cause me a uh, a coronary. (laughs) I'm dreading Villa. Uh, This was sent last week. Sincerely from Drew's dad. Yes, that is uh, Drew Heatley's dad uh, on the emails. Shout out Um, to Michael. Game of my life. One of my favourite things I've read in years. It's It's an older book, but I do love it. Yeah, and uh, and in response to uh, his question, let's start with the, let's start with the it was, corners it was and better. not keeping a man. It was better against Villa. I will say that um, it, it did improve a little bit. But yeah, it's something I've noticed as well that opposition are now starting to crowd Burnt Leno, and we saw it a lot in the Burnley game. And then we saw it more in the Everton game, I think, as well. And, and, and then Bournemouth tries to take advantage of it. And if those three teams are picking up on it, you can bet your bottom dollar that there are sides with deeper analytical departments who are, have noticed this as well. So, yeah, I, I find it very weird. I watched the Arsenal-Porto game in the Champions League last night. And I thought Porto were magnificent about keeping Arsenal players away from Diogo Costa. And the way that he claimed the ball off the back of those was was very, very impressive. I think we just got to be a bit stronger. It might be to do with the the system of marking that we're using and it not allowing a player to basically be in the zone that the Burnley is trying to clear from. And there is, you know, a, a revertible tactic in this, in that if you do have loads of players around Burnley, your own players, it makes him harder to come through a crowd and actually claim the ball. So... It's a question now of Fulham trying to keep that space around Leno that allows him to to get a free jump at a corner ball if it's in a zone that he could get to. But at the corners of late, they were better against Villa, but of late have been a real concern from where I've been sitting as well. And it doesn't seem to be any sort of leadership in the box about who's dealing with the players on Leno. And it's proving tricky and it's something that needs to be addressed. In terms of leaving a man upfield, I completely agree. Um, now, maybe it's something to do with the fact that the players you'd want to leave up there, a you know, a la Bobby, perhaps, who's one of the smaller players on this team, aren't the quickest and therefore wouldn't be looking at this and thinking, OK, this is an opportunity. But I'm not quite sure what the, the game plan is in terms of not leaving any options up there to try and force something down the other end pretty quickly. But don't lock... I feel like I, I watch a lot of football now where I, you don't see a man just staying up on the halfway line like it's Sunday league, hoping for a, hoping for a quick well, clear. Look at Liverpool's feel- first goal against Brentford, right? Yeah. Diego Jota wins the header, Darwin steams onto it and chips the goalkeeper. Yeah, it's a great finish, but like it's very simple. It's a long ball upfield. Jota wins the header. Darwin has the steal on his man. It's not a, 
particularly complex tactic by any stretch of the imagination. And it's something that I think has a real value, not only in terms of its attacking potential, which Michael points out, but also it alleviates another body in the box, which is something we're struggling with from a defensive sense, because you have to leave someone up there to be able to deal with it. You have to leave a defender probably too into those areas. And therefore it just gives you a little bit more space in the box to make things happen. So yeah, I think from a defensive and an offensive standpoint, it would make more sense for Fulham to be trying to read into this a little bit more. Fair enough. All right, let's do uh, this. We'll catch on before we finish. So um, if you're a newish listener to uh, the Fulhamish podcast, this is something that we did a lot for the last few years and we kind of haven't done it since the live show, I think, after Sheffield United. So it's been about five or so months. Um, people send in mostly stupid uh, potential chance with the dream of it one day being sung by the masses in the Hammersmith end. Um, the uh, the success, the hit ratio is is pretty low, but it gives us a few laughs here on the on the podcast. And uh, Jack um, has a penchant for for rating and slating uh, said said chance. Jack, are you ready for the return of this to catch on? We're back, baby. All right. First one is pretty uh, short and sweet uh, from uh, Jack McFadden. He said, moving away from the recent trends of entire songs, which, although often brilliant, will never actually catch on. This Fair one is point. short, sweet and uses a tune familiar to everyone, albeit with an upbeat. On the surface, it celebrates two specific players, but in really it's a nod to what Fulham are all about. We've so got a blurb. I love that. Yeah, that immediate plus points for Jack here. So this is for uh, Fulham's two Tims. And as he said, it's short but sweet. Chestnuts and Ream, Chestnuts and Ream. We're the only club in England with two Timmies in our team. <laughs> I like the upbeat, the grace note, if you will, um, beforehand. Um yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm in. I mean, I don't think it's going to catch on because no. I think everyone will be a bit confused by the Chestnut song, but I, I do like it. I like it. That has potential. And it gets points for the blurb. Well yeah. done, Jack. Well done, Jack. Good start uh, to This Will Catch On. The next one is from uh, This Will Catch On regular Marisa Cardoni. And this one is good. I enjoyed this one a lot. Uh, she says, Hi, Fulhamish. In the wake of uh, Sunday's match and the news of Tom Kearney's contract extension, she did send this about a month ago, I thought I would put this together, uh, which I've had in my head for a while. It's a take on a Bonnie Tyler Carioli classic. Carioli. Um, yeah, karaoke, karaoke uh, classic. Uh, she's then said it's not the easiest songs to record with just two phones and the lyrics are not that clear. Um, here's the recordings. Uh, if you see, think either of them are fit to play, that's cheers from Marisa. So I will hand it over. Passing accuracy is off the charts and we need you now tonight and we need you more than ever Use your left and not your right You'll be scoring goals forever And your eyes be in black and white So you'll never be wrong With Sancho and McDonald You are always to blame But you're the only one that stayed here all this time Your shirts from out the box are so sweet I was waiting for the once upon a time I was falling in love. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm always, uh, I'm always impressed every time Marisa sends everything in. She has such a wonderful voice. Um, one, no more Tom Kenny songs. We got one. No. We added a second. <laughs> I don't think any more TC songs are catching on. Um, but I mean, beautiful as ever. Beautiful as ever. Yeah. Thank you, Marisa. I, I could but, listen to these all day. Yeah, very, very nice. I felt like I was um, watching. I don't know what the perfect. words are. Well, I was enjoying myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, look, we would need to book Abbey Road if we were to do this properly, but considering it's just on on two phones and there seems to be the multi-track oh, and all sorts, it's it's very it's very good, very good. Very right, impressive. final one is from Sam Witcher, 
Uh, Sam has sent in a few, uh, this will catch on in his time too. Uh, this is a new one. He sent this back in December. So you can tell we've been sitting on this will catch on for, for a little while. He says, hi, Sammy. I've been meaning to do this for a while. And now we are in this ridiculously rich reign of form. Yeah, I think that you can tell this is written in December. November. I thought it would be the ideal time. The theatrical vibe wouldn't have played so well a few weeks ago. Anyway, here it is. A song in brackets that will never catch on for our one and only Calvin Shirley Bassey. And it's thanks from Sam. So I will hand it over for today's final. This will catch on. <laughs> the minute you walked in the joint, I could see you were a player of distinction, a real defender. Strong tackling, so refined. Say, wouldn't you like to help to get the ball up the line? So let me get right to the point. I don't write a song for every player I see. Our defender called Calvin Bassey. That is, that's truly exceptional. That is phenomenal. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Oh, um, I think I might be done. <laughs> that's class. I am very much enjoyed that. That is excellent, Sam. Well done. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's a crime that we've been sitting on that since December. So I'm sorry, Sam, but it was well worth the wait. Thank you very much for sending it in. That is truly quite spectacular. I hope that is oh. on. I don't think it will. Um, I think Jack's one has the biggest chance of catching on. Um, but that is, that's something quite special. Um, I, I can see that being rolled out at, rolled out at a live show at some point. Yeah, yeah, it's got live show potential, hasn't it? I enjoy on This Will Catch On the ones that are actually might be a terrorist chant and the ones that are just masterpieces that have got no chance, but they make us entertained uh, on the podcast. So, Sam... Thank you very much. That'll well do done, for the Sam. podcast today. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Jack Collins, thank you. Thank you, Sam. It was a pleasure. Uh, nice to have this will catch on back, eh? Oh, such a pleasure. Um, that's really made my day. We'll do a few more of these over the next few weeks. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. Please um, send in a voice recording. Don't just put the lyrics there because it's just not as fun. So send in a voice recording. We can keep you anonymous if you're terribly embarrassed by it. Um, hello at fullamish.co.uk. We absolutely love receiving your This Will Catch On entries. Um, George will be back on Sunday reviewing everything that happens in the Manchester United game. So catch that uh, sometime on Monday when that will be released. And yeah, have a lovely weekend. If you're heading out to Old Trafford, safe travels. If not, enjoy the game wherever you're watching it and come on your whites. You whites.